there is a name a name above all others this name has stood the endless test of time this name has changed the lives of untold millions praise god this name is jesus and is jesus he's mine his name lives on and shall live on forever while kings and kingdoms shall all pass away he is our lord of all the king of all Denying all the many, many great things he has done. I've heard them curse his name, and they say there was no Calvary. Overthrew in all his holy name, he lived on his name. change the lives of untold millions. Praise God! This name is Jesus and it's Jesus. He's mine. His name lives on and shall live on. One word. 
trying to change it. Every promise still remains who he was, he is today. Not one word of God has changed. Let's sing that again.
when peace like a river
thank you for the offering today. It's good to be in the house of God today. And if you're here new or you're here visiting, I want you to understand we don't usually get done till 1230, so at least. And uh, I ain't going to tell you exactly when we'll get done, but it's usually we're shooting for 1230. And uh, don't get nervous because I know a lot of the junior church just wanted back, but God's been good to us. Last week, I talked about Zechariah, the 14th chapter. I talked about the day that we're living in, the end time, the times that we're facing, how much Zechariah is writing so many years ago, yet uh, it's so clear of what's happening today. Uh, a lot of what Zechariah wrote was even what happened in Gaza. And uh, you got to know that the days are near. If, they're, if that is not it, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and I realized that uh, we were talking last week about the two-thirds of Israel, two-thirds of the Jews that will die, and a third will be left. And that's something you don't usually hear about, but it's in Scripture, talking about the end time. Zechariah talked about it and I want you to understand all that and yet at the same time if if America rises up and goes to Israel's defense today because you can look at the swarm of those that hate Israel they're coming out of the woodwork and they're even coming out of the woodwork in America but you can see the swarm around Israel that all of those around them hate them they want them pushed off the face of the earth. You know, a true Christian don't believe that way. Uh, American Christian ain't going to believe that. Uh, I'm not trying to push anybody off their land. You know what? We will, we're to love people and we're to be the people that God wants us to be. But a lot of times in the church world, they get caught up in the days that we live in, just like the church preaches a lot of prosperity today. And everybody wants to sit back in the easy chair and have plenty. Well, that's not the gospel that Jesus preached. And, and they can live on just that. They can center all of their attention on that. But can I tell you, it hurts the church. You go to these foreign countries where they're very poor, have very little, and you try to preach to them prosperity, and they look at you like you lost your mind because they don't understand how they can prosper. They're just trying to get a meal from day to day, trying to survive. That's not the message. This gospel fits everybody. It will fit anybody and everybody that will come to him. And I believe that. But I want to go back to the basics this week. I'm not going to get back into the prophecy. I'm not that smart in the prophecy. I only read and then I try to understand and I got very few commentary books about prophecy that I actually go to. I got some, but I don't go to them to find out what I should talk about. Because I'm not looking for what they say. I'm looking for what God's saying to me today. And that's what I want to uh, stay with every day of my life. Until God removes me, that's where I need to be. Is close enough to God to hear his voice. All the preachers need to be there. All of those ministering for God needs to be there. They need to be to where they need to hear the word of God. And I'm not trying to lift anybody above anybody. My father was a pastor here before, and he had a famous saying that every one of the kids know, 
He said, there's no big eyes in God's kingdom, so get over yourself. Whoever you think you are, get over yourself because God is going to have it his way, and I want his will. I don't want my ideal, and I don't want my uh, opinion or my prerogative toward what I do. Sometimes what God tells me to do, I don't like it. I don't really want to do it that way. But I know what he's doing is right. So I have to learn to submit to that. I want to turn to the fourth chapter first of Matthew, if you got your Bible. I want to read something. Because I think the day we're in, I think the church, the Christians of this world needs to know how to walk for God. How many knows we need to be Christ-like? That's what a Christian is. We're supposed to be Christ-like. We're not supposed to figure out how to go and make America great so we can go fight people's war. That's not who we are. It's God raised us up for a time, and the time is, has been. Whether or not we ever get back to that, I don't know. It don't look like we're going there. Looks like we're going the opposite way. But I, I, I don't want to put nobody down. What I'm trying to say is the enemy is working hard to divide us from God's will, God's way, and that's why the church is split, splitting and spreading because people want to still uh, follow the flesh while they're calling upon the name of Jesus, and it's not going to work. Now, I'm not trying to preach that to you but I want you to hear. Listen to the fourth, fourth chapter of Matthew. I want you to look at verse 17. From the time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting in a net into the sea, for they were fishers, and he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway he left their net, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, and, uh, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. And uh, they were in the ship, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left their ship of their father and followed him. Why am I reading that? I want you to hear two words in there. I want you to hear called, and I want you to hear follow. Did you know when you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God has come and he has called you to, the, to Christ. When Jesus comes on the scene and begins his ministry and he's already doing work, he calls disciples to follow him. He wants them totally submitted. I don't, he's not wanting somebody to half follow him. He's not wanting somebody to show up and take turns following him. He wants them to come as a group together. He's calling them to reveal something to them because if they actually understood how it was going to end up at the end, they'd, they'd have took it a little more serious to start with because you know what, and so would we. If you really knew that God is counting on you in this generation to uphold the gospel before anybody, no matter what they think, guess what? You'd think twice about just skipping out the door and saying, I don't care about church on Sunday. I don't care about church Sunday night. I don't care about Bible studies. I don't care about prayer time. 
You know what? You change your tune because if you look at the end results of what the enemy's trying to do to destroy you, your family, you'll get into a church that talks about the Word of God, that gets into the Word of God, that talks about what God wants you to hear. Okay? That is a, it's a statement for the call. We're all called. Now, why am I on this? I asked the same question to God. What am I doing here? And God said, get on into the fifth chapter. What is the fifth chapter of Matthew? Starts out as a Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount for three solid chapters. Matthew 5 all the way through Matthew 7. I want you to hear the first two verses of Matthew 5.1. 5, 1 and 2. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he sat, he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying. Now, I want you to hear something. The Lord called those disciples. Now he's gone into a mountain and called them to his side, and he's going to teach them. I mean, here's what I'm saying. You not only get called, but you got to be taught. You know what? When God called Apostle Paul, he went out in the wilderness for a while. And he had to learn what God wanted him to say and to do. He knew words. He knew scripture. But he had to know what the heart of God was. He had to get straightened out by the Spirit of God, led him. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is bringing... He's the Messiah, the one with the message. He's bringing the message. This is part of the message because the message is not only that you came and got saved, and that's the problem in a lot of our churches. People come and get saved, and then they do nothing. They don't learn nothing. They don't go nowhere. They never. They think that's got to be for somebody that's loud and speaks out like I do. But can I tell you, that wasn't me. I wasn't that person. My wife would tell you that wasn't that person when she married me. But I'm going to tell you something. Time tells you that when God puts something in you, it's going to bubble up and come out of you. When you learn things, they begin to come out of your in your words. And you feel so in, inadequate, like, I don't know where I got that. I don't know how. It's just all of a sudden it begins to flow out of you. Because it's the words that God has brought and put inside of you. But Jesus is doing something. He's teaching here. And he teaches, seems like, for three solid chapters. Some believe that this part of this uh, Sermon on the Mount, that it was only done in spurts at different places and it was put all together by Matthew. Because if you go to Luke, there had, uh, he talks about a little bit here and a little bit there of that same Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to understand, Matthew put it together and it's there for a purpose. And it's there because we need to understand what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is talking about. Because the truth is, Jesus Christ came. He didn't come and just say, follow me. He wasn't going to be there when, they, uh, when, he, when he got crucified and was taken up to heaven. They were going to have to carry this on. He wanted to teach them who they, what this was. I really think it's this way. I think he's teaching what the word of God intended to be. Now, you, you can say, 
you know, all the laws and all the commandments and all the things that God had put forth through Moses. But I want you to understand Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. And he is the word of God. And he became flesh and he dwelt among us. But he has to bring forth God's word. He is the heart of God. When you see him, you sing God. And that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you here is God's going from the law written on the wall to the law written in your heart. That's exactly what he's doing here. And Jesus is going to insert that into your mind and into your heart as you read and you understand. Because I read, I used to read this, DJ read it, uh, part of it this morning in Matthew where he talks about if you look on a thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart already. Already you've already done that. Jesus seems to have made it harder on us than easier. It wasn't if you actually did, went and did the act of committing adultery. It wasn't even the act of going and killing somebody. If you hate somebody without a cause, you're guilty of the judgment of, being kill, of killing somebody. I mean, here's what I'm saying. Jesus made it seemingly harder for us to live up to that. But he didn't leave it there. See, he not only brought the heart of what that is, he don't want you to do something because it's written on that wall. He wants you to have it in your heart. Because if you've got it in your heart, you won't go out and look for those things. You won't go out with, a, with hating people and wanting to kill people or wanting to wipe them off. Like I said, sometimes driving, it'd be real easy just to have a little zapper and say, zip, zip. Because some of them people driving don't really belong out there when they're working their phone and they're doing all that crazy stuff. And, you know, good thing I'm not the judge. I'd take their license away for a day or two anyway. I know, mind your own business, right? But I want to know that Jesus taught them in that fifth verse or that fifth chapter and the first two verses where it says he's teaching them. Now, if you go all the way to the end of this, of the last two verses of the seventh chapter, and I'm going to read them, and I'm going to go back over them again tonight, but I want you to hear this morning, I want you to hear this. It says, the last two verses, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, ended his preaching, ended his teaching, that whole Sermon on the Mount. When he had ended it, it says, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Listen to what I'm telling you. God's got to have you with it in your heart. You cannot be religious and do the will of God and do the work of God. Being religious may look good on the wall, you might have great numbers. You might have great singing. You might have great everything. But if you're not going to walk this out in your heart, let me tell you something, that's what God's looking for. And he's looking at for it not only at the, at, the, uh, at the doorkeeper or the preacher. He's looking for all of us to walk this from the heart. And if we've got the heart of God, the Holy Spirit will bring us together and his presence will be welcome. How many knows that's true? Jesus is introducing something new. This is something they never saw. This is that new covenant coming. 
but he wants you to hear. If you go through the Sermon on the Mount, if you go through, you're going to find he's addressing things different. He goes from the old times, so what it used to say, to the new times. That's when he said, I, the old times says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But the new, but I say to you, how many knows Jesus is changing things? He's not really changing it. He's just expressing what the Father had sent him to do. Okay. Now, these Beatitudes. Did I read that? Yeah. The Beatitudes, I'm just going to skip through them because I've got some other stuff to go to. But it says in the, in the, in the first one, it's poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, Jesus is teaching now, Listen to it. He says, uh, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. And he starts every one of them with blessed are those. He starts with you're going to be blessed or you're going to be happy or you're going to be uh, enthused of the fact that you're walking this way. He wants to show us how to walk this. And he's telling us in the first one, he says, poor in spirit. It's the opposite of spiritually proud or self-sufficient. How many knows you need Jesus? How many knows you need the Spirit of God? Let me tell you something. I don't care who you think you are, and you can look at the poor in spirit. You can look at those that mourn. You can look at the meek. You can look at all those things, but if you don't put Christ in the center of your life, guess what? All of that don't mean nothing. Have you ever met humble people? I've met humble people, but they didn't have nothing to do with God. They just was a nice person. They wanted to be a nice moral person. They wanted to do, uh, they wanted to stay, take the uh, step back. They'd go and hold the door for people. I, ha I had a guy at my work that used to go and visit people at the hospital when they'd go to the hospital. He had no idea what salvation was. He had no idea what it meant. He, just, he would just go to visit because he was a nice fella. Worked in the union. He thought he was somebody that just encouraged that guy that was sick. And that's what he did. Let me tell you something. You can't do this without Jesus. You can't do it because, see, Jesus is showing you how powerful this word is, but he's also showing you it's you cannot do it in your flesh. The flesh is weak. We can't keep up with it. It's too much. If the law of the old was too much, how in the world are we supposed to clear these eyes up, DJ? You talked about how are we supposed to protect these little eyes? Be careful, little eyes, where, what you look at. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little feet, where you go. How in the world can we protect that? We do it by following the Spirit of God and the will of God in our life. We have to put up the barrier. Job said it. I think it was Job that made the statement. He made the statement, I made a, a de declaration with my eyes that I will not look upon those things that God told me not to look on. How many knows Jesus came a little deeper than just an outside law? He ain't talking about a law you hang on your wall. He ain't talking about the Ten Commandments on the side of a building. And I praise God that they're there. Like I said, when you put... When you put holy under the Lord in your house, then I expect you to live holy under the Lord. Don't put the sign up if you ain't going to live it. Don't put the sign on the back of your car and then drive like a nut. And I used to have on the back of the car I had before, God's in control. And I had to wonder sometimes what they thought of my driving. 
Is God in control of that? Boy, he's a bad driver, you know. God's working on us. But why? Because God needs us to be these people in this day. Your generation, my generation, the generations from past, Jesus was the center of it. Without him being the center, without him being the Savior, you don't have no hope. You don't have no power to protect yourself from the walk of this world. You got a short time to walk through this life, and you got a Savior calling your name. But he's calling you, and he'll teach you if you listen. He goes on to talk about the mourn, those that mourn. See, poor in spirit to me are people that's needy. They need something. They're wretched. They're poor. They're weak. When you came up and you needed to get saved, you didn't come out and say, uh, "You are God, you're going to be so happy you got me. I'm so, I'm so strong. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just smart. I can figure out stuff for you. I can do all kinds. I can organize. I can do all kinds of stuff. And you know what? God's not a bit impressed with that. God's looking for somebody to hear his voice and obey. He's not looking for you for that. He's already in charge. He goes on to say those that mourn. We mourn over our weakness in trying to live up to God's holy standard. How many knows we're weak? I think all of these can mean this. Look at the third one, the meekness. It says, the meek, blessed are the meek, those who are humble and submissive before God. And I heard it said, meekness is not weakness, but it's power under control. Meekness is not weakness. Jo uh, Moses was called the meekest man of the world, or meekest man in the, in the Bible back in the Old Testament, 12, Numbers 12, 3, I think it is. He's talked about as being the meekest. But can I tell you something? Without God, your meekness don't mean nothing. You're not trying to glorify yourself. You want to walk and represent him. That's who you are. But meekness without following Christ does not please God. You cannot please God being humble unless you're humble before him. Then it says, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those. You can see it on the Christian's life. Did you know what? When I look out, and I ain't nobody, and don't, don't think I'm judging everybody, but when somebody in the church gets hungry, listen to me, when they get hungry after righteousness, it shows. You know why? Because they're reading their Bible, and that's all they want to talk about. And they're praying, and they're praising God, and they want fellowship with other brothers and sisters. You know what they are? They're hungry. They're hungry to be around the presence of God. But when they ain't hungry for God, they ain't nowhere around that stuff. Oh, I don't. I don't really need to hear the preaching. I don't really need to have a teacher to teach me anymore. I've done already learned that since I was a kid in church. 
Let me tell you something. I go to every Sunday school class that I'm supposed to be at, and I go to every Bible study. And I, you say, well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to be there. No, I'm telling when other people's teaching and other people's preaching and other people's praying, I'm tickled to death to be there because I learn from them. I know the Spirit of God's going to speak through them just like he speaks through any of us. We need to receive if you're hungry for the righteousness of Christ. And that's what he's telling us. We need to walk hungry. We need to stay hungry. And I can tell you what pulls you out of being hungry for those things. Filling your head and your eyes with all kinds of worldly ideals. I don't care what it is. You fill your head and your eyes with that, pretty soon you're walking over here and you ain't got time to go to a Bible study. You ain't got time to pray. You don't have time to get up and pray before you go to work. Because you stayed out too late the night before. Okay, that's none of my business. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, but I'm just telling you, if we're going to live what, God, what Christ is showing us, we have to understand these beatitudes are attitudes we're to be. We're to be these people. He goes on to say the pure in heart, those that deliver that are delivered from sin's power by the God's grace and now strive without deceit to please God and to be like him. Peacemaker, those who work to bring peace, the peace of God to all they can. I wish we had some peacemakers in Congress. And I ain't talking about somebody that compromises what's right. I ain't talking about standing by. I'm talking about people that stands up for what's right. And don't step back down. And don't, don't not support somebody else when they're standing up for what's right. Speak the truth. We had a new, a new speaker that was voted in up there. And you all have heard it. Been on the news. I mean, all the elders have heard it. Young don't watch the news that much. But you know what the best thing I like about it? Was they showed him a day or two after that. On his knees with seven other men praying. I don't know what they were praying. Maybe they were praying for the people in Maine. Maybe they were praying over decisions that were being made. But you know our Congress has been gathering all these years. And they have prayer before they start. And I wondered, well, who in the world's praying? Because you know what? Somebody needs to convict somebody. Because they got more garbage going on in there than we than uh, than the world's got going on. They're a bad example if they're not if they're trying to set what's right. And we're supposedly voting them to be there. And you know what? I don't think they're representing the people. Again, that's my opinion. I'm not trying to. Jump on them. The last one is those persecuted for righteousness sake. Those who hold, listen to this, persecuted for righteousness sake. Those who uphold God's standard of truth, justice, and purity, and also refuse to compromise with this evil society or the lifestyles of the lukewarm believers. I'm sorry I had to step it right into the church. It had to come into the church because the church is allowing everything. I'm not their judge. God knows. But can I tell you something? It don't show Christians as Christ-centered, does it? 
They're not centered on what he's saying. They're centered on what I'm getting away with or what my belief is or what my opinion is. And I was just telling DJ, you know, that a few years ago, people came out with this saying, oh, it's right for you, but it's not right for me. And they want you to accept that, you know. It's just what you think is right and what others think is right. That's, that's the way you should live. And I'm going to tell you something, that comes out of hell. That doesn't come from God. Because God's telling you to submit to his will. Submit to his way. Follow him. He's called you. He not only called you and put you on the road, but he died and paid a price for you. You're owned by him. You don't tell him how you're going to walk it. He tells you how to walk it. If I would have told God what I was going to do, I wouldn't be standing here. See, I, I was not that person. But God says, yes, you're going to do what I tell you. Get over it. And you know what? I had to get over it. Grant, I had to get over it. And my wife had to get over it. And I blamed her. I said, you know, you told me. If I don't do what God tells me, I'm going to pay for it. And I said, well, I know what God was telling me, so I have to step there. And you know what? I ain't nobody. I'm not trying to lift me up. I'm trying to tell you that Jesus Christ is trying to do the work that needs to be done in this generation. He's trying to use this church. When I saw all those little kids and the families that come with them last night out here, I'm thinking, God, you're doing a good work. You're doing a good work through our people. I ain't lifting up Rich and Barb or nobody else. I'm trying to tell you that we need somebody to stand in the gap and say, I want to reach out and draw those to him. Because if they really are living for God, they'll see Christ. They won't see us. They'll really see Christ in us. I'm going to go on down. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor or flavor, where shall it be salted? It's thence, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. Then it goes on to talk about the candlestick and the light. You don't, buy, you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. You let it shine. And he's, Jesus is teaching that you're, we are the salt of the earth and the light. That means we're the preservers. We're the one that has put the seasoning into this gospel. So they ought to love what, what you do because you represent Christ and Christ is full of love. Christ is offering his hand to all those that have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And they know that they are lost and they know they need a Savior. And you're offering them Jesus. Jesus loves you anyway. I don't care what you did yesterday. He's ready to receive you if you'll hear him. If you'll only come. He's been doing that all these years. Ben, he's been working on us all. He's, drank, he's bringing us to him. He's teaching us. But we have to keep God centered in our mind and in our heart. The world needs to see the Christians. Not only Christ-centered, but they need to know that we're the salt and the light. How many hears me? Do you know you're the salt of the earth? Do you know you're the light? I didn't say it. Jesus said it. So that means where you go, you need to represent him right. 
That means he needs, to, he needs to be what's in you that they say, I don't know how he handles his problems, but his problems don't seem to matter to him or not. It doesn't matter about my circumstances as long as I hold on to him. There's no devil in hell. There's no sickness that's too big for God. God's bigger than all these things. And he sent his son to pay for you and I. Once we are his, then all we want to do is offer ourselves to do his will. Whatever you say, Lord, less of me, more of you. Jesus is teaching this. This is the first time they've ever heard this. That's why in that seventh chapter, they were astonished at his doctrine. They didn't ever heard it that way. See, the scribes and Pharisees put the law there, and they say, yeah, I obey all those laws. I'm perfect. What is your problem? And that's the way they wanted to live. And they were ready to judge everybody else except looking at themselves. In Romans 8, the third, uh, the third verse, the eighth chapter, Paul said this, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. Did you know Jesus condemned the sin in you? He condemned it when he died. When he is an innocent sacrifice laid his life down, he condemned the sin that holds you bound. And he's telling you, if you come to me, I'll set you free of it. There's freedom in coming to Jesus. Free from sin. That don't mean the devil won't attack you. That don't mean temptation won't try to come. But I can tell you, there's freedom. You can rise up every day and say, I'm nothing, but I'm a child of God. I'm nothing, but I'm a saint of God. You know what? You may not see me that way, and others may not. And they, you know what? Your family may remember, boy, you was a mean person, or you did some bad things years ago. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus cleans the slate. You hear what I'm telling you? He has cleaned you up. Don't let the devil put you back into that place because that's what he's trying to do. It says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That means we can live this life. Why would Jesus come and tell us how restrained it is to walk for him? You know, even your eyes and even your thoughts and even your hate. Why would he put all those things and before you and say you can have victory over them. Because most of us feel like we can't get victory. Most of us feel like, oh, I'm just defeated. I'll never be what God really probably wanted me to be because I've just got wickedness in me. Let me tell you something. You don't believe. DJ said it. You're setting yourself up believing that you and your opinion is bigger than God's, what God has said. Because God can release you. Set you free. There's power in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. On over in Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh are manifest. Now let me tell you something. When you read these works of the flesh, you got to understand that's not who Christians are. The works of the flesh is what you're, what you're giving yourself into. And I know this is a simple teaching. This is a very simple thing. But I'm going back to the basics because, see, we as Christians, when they look out into the Christian world and we look out into the churches, you wonder where the Spirit of God is guiding these people. And they're not. They're following what their flesh thinks. They're following what their flesh feels. When they start okaying the homosexual and okaying the transgender and saying it's fine to vote for them, I say, you know what? You've lost your way. You don't hear the Spirit of God, and God would not give you that. That doesn't come from God. That comes from the enemy. It comes from our flesh, and it says here, it says here, the works of the flesh are manifest of these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which is uh, unbridled lust, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, rebellings. Rebellings are, are party-like spirit. That's going all, all across this world. They're partying everywhere. All they got to do is have a reason. Give them a reason to party. They'll start a new sports group just so they can have a reason to party. And they'll fill the bars up with it. You think that's coming from God? I don't think so. I think people are following the flesh. And they're living out their world. I do what I want to do. But see, you have to surrender yourself to him. You have to remember he died for you. He laid down his life and died for you. He died to give us this salvation. He goes on to say, uh, revelings and such like of which I tell you before as I told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So the people that are doing these things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, here's that. But the fruit of the spirits, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, against their soul, there's no law. Those other things, these fruit of the spirit, that means when you follow the spirit, the fruit of the spirit will guide you on how to do. You'll have love in your heart. You'll have love for people you don't even like. But you'll love. I would love to see a revival break out. And I don't care where they've came from. I wish they would give their heart to God. I wish all of the Democrats would give their heart to God. And I wish all the Republicans would give their heart to God. And I wish it would get more important to them than what they're doing. Because God could do a mighty thing with the Spirit of God in them. But he can't do anything. There's not going to be no unity without him. These things ought to be working in us. They ought to be a part of our everyday love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Temperance is self-control. All these things ought to be a part of someone following the Spirit of God that he gave. First Corinthians, uh, Matt, come on back up. First Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Are you striving to be like Christ? Striving for the mastery means I'm working at it. You're working at it. The mastery. I'm trying to be the child of God that God wants me to be. We have to run the race that we may obtain. Are you wanting to obtain victory? God knows what you're doing in your heart. Not what's on the outside. You can come and sit down in the church and be defeated. And you can walk out defeated. Unless you've made up your mind, I need to run this race. I need to strive to be like Jesus every week, every day of my life. I need to work at this. Because just as soon as the enemy rocks you to sleep, the Spirit of God's not there. He's not going to hang around you. He tries to convict you. He tries to draw you back. Even those that get away from God, he'll send somebody to remind you of where you have come, where you have drifted away from. Christians are drifting away daily. I'm not picking at nobody today. I'm not trying to condemn nobody. I'm trying to let you know, beware the enemy and he ain't going to lay down and give up on you. He's going to fight you every day of your life. This is a fight of faith. This is a fight that you have to strive to say, Lord, I want to be a child of God more than I want things, more than I want my way. I want to be obedient. I want to listen to the voice of God. Because it's God that will bless your life. It's him that has the plan for your life. James 1.12 said, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. When he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Are you looking to receive the crown of life? Are you? Or are you looking to just count up things on your behalf? Are you just trying to tally up things in your life that you want to do? You know what? There's a lot of things. I can watch television and I can see people snow skiing on a slope. And I think I ain't never snow skied in my life. But I'd love to get on them. But I couldn't do it. Lee, they might as well just have the ambulance at the bottom of the hill if I make it. Because I couldn't make it. But you know what? There are going to be a lot of things I ain't going to do in this flesh. But I have no idea what that would accomplish other than maybe a broken leg. I would rather know what Jesus wants me to do and follow him. My fulfillment is in him. Your fulfillment is in him. Let him have your life. Don't give up and run out. Don't give up and drift away. Begin to step back in and say, Lord, I want to be where you want me to be. 
I want you to use me if it's just to hold the door. Use me, Lord. Use me any way you can. And we got a lot of good people here that support this church. And I ain't talking money. I'm talking about they support with their presence. They're here. In Revelation 14, 13, he said, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. How many know you're blessed if you die in the Lord? I like that scripture. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. Let me tell you something. That's my goal. I want to die in him. If I'm leaving this life anyway, I want to die in him. If I leave my children anything, possessions don't mean a thing. But if I die in the Lord, they know where daddy's going. And that's all that matters. That's all I can do. I'm bringing them back just like they brought that baby. Bringing it back to him. Saying, Lord, watch over it. Bring it to you. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. See, when you get to the day you're leaving this life, your works is done. Your labors are done but your works will follow you what you lived who you were in him you want your life to be blessed the blessing comes in him Jesus teaches a lot of things in this but you got to recognize it's new to those that at that day it was all new me and you have read this wrote, I even wrote a song about the Beatitudes. But can I tell you something? Jesus is trying to put the outside law on the inside of our heart. He's showing you how that you're to walk. I know when we walk before the presence of God, we're walking on holy ground. Do you know that? When you come in here, listen, young or old, when you come in here and the presence of God's in the room, you're on holy ground. Reverence the, the spirit of God that's here. Desire that he is welcome. Say to yourself, Jesus, you're welcome in the house today. Holy Spirit, fill the room with your presence. Because can I tell you something? That will be something that will feed you inside. You'll know he's pleased. You'll know he's, and I ain't talking about some spiritual show. I'm talking about from your heart. Walk it, live it. Don't just stand near somebody and enjoy what they're getting. I, I enjoy watching others get blessed, but I need the blessing myself. I need his presence. Everybody stand if you will. of words of blessings in there. Jesus starts out talking about the blessings. 
And then he goes to talking about how it used to be and how it is now. Because Jesus clears up the walk that he wants us to walk. He taught them many things. He taught me and you many things in the Sermon on the Mount. Read it for yourself. Find out what Jesus said. Because them are Jesus' words. All the way through it, it's what Jesus is saying. It is his teaching. It is his doctrine. They were astonished at his doctrine. You know what? We get hung up on our doctrine. You know, the way I understand it, he's coming back for one church. He's not coming back for the Pentecostals in this corner and the Baptists in that corner and somebody else in another corner. No, he's coming back for the church. Those that have come to know him as their savior and follow him. He called you and he equips you to walk this. And that's what this message is about. And you know what? If we in our generation, if we think it's just get a ticket and then we're going to go, we're okay. It's not going to work. I'm going to tell you something. We're not going to influence nobody in this generation. And we're leaving our children with a dead gospel. Can I tell you? You can talk all the words you want, but they need to see the power of God upon our lives. They need to see the Spirit of God work in us. They need to see us humble before God. I don't worry about my circumstances, but I realize I don't like some of them. I pray for those problems. I pray for the things that goes on in this church and the people. But I can't fix your problem. He can fix it. And we can gather together and pray and, and, and believe together. And that's what he wants us to do. But we need to walk this. We need to walk like Jesus wants us to walk. Read what he has told you. Read the, read the whole Sermon on the Mount. Get a hold of what he's saying. It will equip you to walk. Along with the Spirit of God, along with the, the very walking after the Spirit and not the flesh. He's taught us. Paul picked up on it and taught it right on through. If you need to pray today, God is calling us to walk close to Him. God is calling us because we're in a generation that is throwing all kinds of problems and nobody seems to know the solution, including the Christians. But the solution is Him. He's the answer to everything. You come while they sing. I'm going to hold you. Let him have 
When my dad was living, he never had a lot of education, but he had a lot of kids and he had a lot of responsibility. And I used to watch him in his life and dad was never the kind, DJ never was the kind to set us down and say, this is the way you need to live for God. This is the way you need to walk. This is this, this is that. He never taught us that way. He taught us by living it one day at a time in front of us. When you would see him in times of hurt or pain, he'd be on his knees crying out to God. And my mother would be supporting him with her prayers. And you know what? It tells me that he was teaching all the time he was living. And that's who me and you need to do. We need to do that for our children. We need to live that. My wife prays for me every time I get up and preach. She prays for me every Sunday morning for the service, for the singing, for, the, for, the, for Sue, for all those that work up here. Why? For all the teachers that teach. Why? Because we need supporting each other. We need to be God's people. And we don't need one of us doing something. We need all of us doing our part. And I praise God that he's shown us how to walk this walk. Jesus is showing us. He wants us to learn him to the place where we know what we're walking and we know we're pleasing to the Father. Don't stray from his word. His word, and they sung it. He's never changed. His word has never changed. It's the same. Praise God.